Thanks. 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 Good morning. So here we are again, <clears throat> about ready to dive back into Joshua. It's very rare that I get to raise something up when I come to the stage. I usually have to lower it. But we're talking about Joshua. We're going to get there in a moment. Um, but first, I want to start off with a hypothetical question. <clears throat> if you had one request, if you had one request that you can make to God this morning, what would you ask for? Now, this is not a dream, uh, genie in a bottle type of question. This is, if you could talk to God face-to-face, talk to Jesus face-to-face, and make one request, what would you ask for? So let's, get the, let's get the worldly things out of the way first. <clears throat> you know you're not going to ask for riches. You're not going to ask for wealth because you know that's, that's something of this world. Um, you might be tempted to ask for health because that's one of the most common prayer requests is that I might, be, that I might get better or that my friend or, or family member might get better health. But you want to ask for something that's going to last forever. <clears throat> so you certainly don't want to ask for looks. You know, I might be tempted to ask for another 12 inches. Um, you don't want to do that. I mean, you've got one request, and you've got face-to-face with Jesus. So you want to get more Christian in your thoughts. So you think, well, maybe I should be like Solomon, and I'll ask for wisdom. Maybe a little... Uh, Maybe if I ask for wisdom, he might do what he did for Solomon, give him, give him a whole lot more than just wisdom. Maybe I should just ask for peace or for better understanding. Or the ultimate one, I want to ask how to love. That's the greatest commandment. I want to ask how to love. But be careful because if you ask for love, you know, that's going to be a very sacrificial love and you're going to live a life of sacrifice. So what do you ask for? We're going to take a look. This is actually something that happened in uh, the book of Mark, chapter 10. This, hap- this occurs twice. <clears throat> okay, last time I was up here, we talked about, uh, remember, Andy and, and Simon, Andrew and Peter, two brothers. Well, in Mark 10, you've got two other brothers. Two brothers get together, and they go up and they ask Jesus. I mean, they, they're very bold. This is the same John who writes the gospel of John who's, in First John, he's, just, he's all full of love. But at this point in his life, he and his brother James go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pretty bold. And Jesus looks right back at them and says, what do you want me to do for you? And they ask, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Pretty bold, pretty bold request. I'm not going to judge them. A lot of people judge them for that question. Just wanted you to think about that. What Jesus ends up saying back to them is, you, you have no idea what you're asking. But I bring this up because in the next, the very next passage, a guy named Bartimaeus, he goes blind, he goes blind nil with this request. Bartimaeus is a blind man, and, and he's, 
He's in there. The disciples are walking into Jericho. Now, in a couple of weeks, you guys are gonna you, you're gonna have a little Jericho story in Joshua. So that's kind of that kind of neat tie-in. But they're walking into Jericho, and there's this blind man, and he's a, he's begging and he's crying out loud. I mean, he's crying he's crying out so loud that the people tell him to shut up. But he cries all the louder when he knows that Jesus is in town. And suddenly, Jesus. Jesus says, he stops, and he calls him. And the people say, cheer up. He's calling you. Cheer up. He's calling you. And he throws off his cloak, and he jumps to his feet, and he runs to Jesus. And Jesus asks him the same question he asked James and John. Exact same words. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, I want to see for a moment there, for a moment there, I want you to stop and put yourself in his place. I ask you to think about that one request. What if you were that person that caused Jesus to stop and say, call him, call her, I'm calling her, I'm calling him. And now you have your one opportunity in front of Jesus Christ. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now you know that your request is going to be heard. How do you feel? I want you to imagine that feeling. Imagine the feeling of knowing your request has gotten God's undivided attention and suddenly he's calling you. You've been calling him for so long, now he's calling you. And he's about to grant your request. What do you do in that moment? In the moment... Just before he grants your request, what do you do? I want you to ponder that. The moment before your request is granted. I'm going to come back to that in a sec. So, Joshua, quick review. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, ten plagues, a lot of awesome things are going on. It culminates with them crossing the Red Sea. Waters part, they cross through, Pharaoh's army gets drowned, and then they really mess up in the desert. God says, you're not going to get to see the promised land. Not even Moses is going to get to see the promised land. They're going to wander the desert for 40 years. But there's an interesting part of that story that I don't, wanna, I don't want us to forget. During the time in the desert, Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land, and he wants us to scout them out. Sounds familiar, but he wants them to scout out the promised land. And of those 12 spies, 10 of them are scared to death. And they say, we should have just stayed in Egypt. We're going to die. We're going to die in Canaan. Why did you send us out here? But two of them are strong. Two of them are courageous. Two of them say, let's go. Let's go. We can, this is ours. <clears throat> Joshua and Caleb. And God says, when his when he's anger burns at the Israelites, he goes, none of you are going to get to see the promised land. None of you except for two. Caleb and Joshua. You're going to get to see the promised land. So then, a couple of weeks ago, we started, to, started in the book of Joshua. The first chapter, Joshua is saying, okay, you're going to take over Moses now, so be strong and courageous. And then last week, Joshua sends out the spies. So it's kind of history repeating itself. So you heard, you heard that lesson last week. But now we're on the verge. 
We're on the verge of an answered prayer. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. I'm one verse into this chapter and I got to stop. Because if you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, if you're reading through the Bible and you're thinking this is something that happened 2,500 years ago and you're just saying, okay, whatever, just tell me the story, you're going to miss so much. You have to see yourself in the story. I know a lot of you grew up maybe going to VBS, going to Sunday school, going to Launchpad, and where you got little Bible stories every week. And they were Bible stories, and you loved them, and you still remember them. But you're young adults now, and you've got to read more into it now. Now you've got to see yourself in the story. Otherwise, it's just something that happened 2,500 years ago. I want you to see yourself in this story. Otherwise, it's going to be virtually meaningless to you. So I want you to picture the scene. This is a huge group of people. It's a huge group of young people. Because remember, the older generation is dead. God has said nobody under 20 gets to, gets to see the promised land. So they wander for 40 years. So there's nobody older than 60 in this group. I know you probably think that's old, but there's nobody, there's nobody older than 60. There's, there's a, as, as civilizations go, this is probably the youngest civilization ever. And all they know is wandering in the desert. They're too young to remember the plagues. They, they, didn't, they didn't understand it. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't quite get to them what was going on. Now they're, they've been adults for 40 years, and they're wandering and wandering and wandering, and all they heard was their parents and their grandparents talking about this God who did these amazing things and about this promised land, but they don't get to see it. They haven't seen it, and they haven't known it. So if you'd ask them the question I asked you, what's your one request? <clears throat> Number one answer would have been, we want to see the promised land. We want to see some of these amazing things that God has done for you, for our parents and grandparents. We want to see it. God, let us see the promised land. That would have been easy. So they're, they're on the verge now. Now they're on the banks of the river. And they can see the promised land, but they're going to cross the river. They're going to go into it the very next day. They are on the verge of an answered prayer. Just what I told, asked you to, to imagine. And maybe you feel the same way. Did you lose me? Oh, you said that. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you're thinking, and it doesn't matter if it's 2,500 years ago or 40 years ago. To you, it's probably ancient history. Anytime I tell my, I, I tell my kids stories all the time, and I get the feeling that sometimes they, they're just ready for them to have, have stories of their own. They don't have any stories of their own. But now it's going to happen. Tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow, their prayer will be answered. So my question again is, what should they do today? Now that they know tomorrow is the day, what should they do today? More importantly, you're putting yourself in this story. You're putting your prayer request in that story, in this story now. Your prayer is about to be answered. What do you do? What should you do? Joshua gives us the answer. 
In Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I read Joshua several times before I finally read it, stopped and paused and read that verse. I want to read it again. Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God is going to do amazing things among you. What does that mean? Consecrate is one of those church words that you don't, you don't hear outside of church. What does it mean? Consecrate yourself. All right. By definition, <clears throat> it's going to mean it means make declare yourself sacred. Make yourself sacred. Make yourself sacred for a divine purpose. Make yourself holy. Okay, that's what it means. But how? How do I make myself sacred? I'll give you a couple of analogies here. If I told you, if you're holding on to a cup and it's got some water in it, got some really stale pond water in it. And I tell you, I'm about to give you the best drink you've ever experienced. For you coffee drinkers, maybe, maybe it's the best coffee you've ever had and you have some stale coffee in your cup. For you, those of you who like soda, maybe it's that. Or if it's just water you like, it's just some stale pond water in here. I'm about to give you the best I'm going to give you a cup full of the best drink you've ever tasted. What do you do with this that's in here? Oh, you're going to throw it out. Forget that. Fill my cup. I want to empty it. I want it, I want it to fill to capacity. That's what it means to consecrate yourself. Empty yourself of all the filth that you have in you. Consecrate yourself. Let me give you another analogy. If, if, if someone came, if God, if Jesus came up to you and said, I'm going to give you a seed. And with that seed, you're going to plant this in your backyard and it's going to grow a tree. And from that tree, it will bear the best fruit in the world. And this fruit is going to sustain your family and your children. And, and you will never be lacking of food. More than that, you'll be able to sell this fruit. And so you'll never be lacking for anything. The only thing I ask of you is to go prepare the soil. I mean, I will water it. I will make sure the seasons are perfect. This will never die. This tree will never die. But you've got to prepare the soil. Would you say, cool, I'm getting a pretty neat tree forever. And it's going to work. He did say prepare the soil, but I'm just going to leave those rocks out there. I'm going to leave those weeds and I'm going to leave this, that, I'm just going to leave it the way it is. No, you're going, to, you're going to prepare the soil. You're going to go out there, you're going to dig it up, and you're going to just, he said, prepare the soil. That's all I have to do is prepare the soil. That's what it means to consecrate yourself. Get rid of all the impurities and get ready because God is about to do something amazing. You don't want to miss it. Not only do you not want to miss it, you want to experience it in full. Why does Joshua 3, verse 5, mean anything to you? 
See, Joshua told his people, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God is going to do something amazing. Today, I, Raymond Jimenez, am telling you, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God is going to do something amazing among you. Now, when I say tomorrow, when, jo- when Joshua said tomorrow, he meant the, the next day. When I say tomorrow, I mean in the very near future. I'm saying one to five years or zero to five years for some of you. God is going to do amazing things among you. You are in a very unique point in your life, a, me- a very, very unique time in life where you will, trend- you will begin to transition from childhood to adulthood. And things are going to happen. A multitude of different things are going to happen as you go to your different places. Whether it's college or a job, you're out on your own. In the next five years, things are going to happen. But they're not just going to happen. The Spirit of God will be moving among you. And you don't want to miss it. You do not want to miss it. Not only do you not want to miss it, you want to experience it in full. So what should you do? Consecrate yourself. What does that mean? I don't have a soil in the backyard or a cup. What do you mean? Well, how do you get rid of the impurities in your life? Some of you have sin in your life and you know it. If you know God is going to do amazing things, you need to start dealing with that now. And maybe you have sin in your life and you don't know it. I want you to join the psalmist in in Psalm 139 who says, God, see if there is any offensive way in me. Let me know what that is. And maybe that should be your prayer. Because maybe you you have some sin in your life that you know about, and there's sin in your life that you don't know about. Ask God to reveal that to you so that you can consecrate yourself. So that you can fully experience what God is going to do. See, I think we have it backwards a lot. Many of us, even adults, we pray Oh, God, if you'll do this, then I will. You know, you make a promise, make a deal with God. Oh, God, if you only answer this prayer, then I swear I will whatever. Or another way we look at it, sometimes we say, maybe if I'm this, if I'm good, if I can be this, then God will do that. If I'm a good boy, if I'm a good girl, then God will reward me. But Joshua says it differently. He says, God will. God is going to do an amazing thing tomorrow. God is going to do amazing things in your tomorrows. Therefore, I will. And really, if we truly have faith, remember, remember faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Certain of what you don't see. If you truly believe that, and again, I'm not talking about, about worldly things. If you truly, truly believe and God will do, God will move among you, and he will, he will do amazing things. So how do you behave today? Let's get back to the Joshua story. Let's see what the amazing thing was that Joshua was talking about. The Lord said to Joshua, today, this is now the next day, today I will begin to exalt you. Tell the priests who, who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the, of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Now, it's, they're careful to, to, to give you the scene again. The Jordan is at 
flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. And the priests, they stopped in the middle of the Jordan and they stood on dry ground while all the Israelites passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Did you know this story? I was an adult before I read that story. Again, I probably read through it, trying to get through the Bible or something, but you hear the world has heard over and over and over again about Moses and crossing the Red Sea. (coughs) Excuse me. This happens again. Now, the Jordan River isn't isn't the, the Red Sea, but it's still a pretty decent river, and it's still there today. And it stopped flowing. Not only did it stop flowing, it gathered in a heap. Just like their parents and grandparents. And once again, put yourself in that story. <clears throat> There's so many times you, you feel like God is working in the lives of others, but he's not working in your life. That's probably how they felt. But now they have their own story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now they, can, they have a story to tell. That's what's going to happen with you. You've heard a lot of stories. You've heard a lot of good uh, speakers, your mentors, Dave, tell you some stories. You're going to experience some stories. And they're going to be like that, but they're not going to be exactly the same. But they're still going to be amazing. It's going to happen. It will happen. And when it does, you need to know something else. Let's look at the story again. This time we're in chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, yeah, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had their feet were their feet on dry ground when the waters of the Jordan returned to the place and ran at flood stage as before. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. There's an entire chapter devoted to this. I want you to see that this is important to God. When he does amazing things, he wants you to remember. And if you have to set a milestone, something, do it. He wants you to remember and testify. So there's, there's three things 
from today. I want you to take away. God will do amazing things among you. But you need to consecrate yourself. You need to purify yourself and remain pure. And when that amazing thing happens, it's going to be unique to you. It's not going to be like your parents or your leaders or your mentors. It's going to be unique to you. And thirdly, he wants us to remember and testify. So I have so many stories, and I have to testify to them. I can't help but testify to them. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you two of them this morning. Look at this picture. You see two hands. More importantly, you see two rings. I'm going to start with the one on the left. That's my ring. That's my wedding ring. And it is my most prized possession. It's, it's, I don't even call it a possession. It's part of me. I never take it off unless I've got some medical reason to take it off. It marks, it helps me remember the most amazing day of my life. It was the most amazing day of my life because that's what I had hoped for for so long. And on that day, I saw my wife coming down the aisle. It was not any more amazing. It was not any less amazing than crossing the Red Sea for these Israelites. She's walking down the aisle, and she was the most beautiful sight I had ever seen and ever would see. And not only that, but it marked the day that our new life began and all the blessings that would flow from that. I call her my, the ultimate blessing that God has given me. And, it, and that ring reminds me of that day, and it reminds me of the vows that I made to my wife on that day before her and before God himself, before many witnesses. There is nothing more amazing than what that ring represents. Before I talk about the other ring, I want to remind you of what Jesus said to Thomas. You remember Thomas, he was the guy who gets, has a nickname Doubting Thomas because he, wanted to, he had heard that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but he wanted to see it for himself. And so Thomas says, so Thomas finally gets to see him. And I don't think there's any, I mean, as much as a bad name Thomas gets, I don't think there's anybody in this room who wouldn't, who wouldn't love an opportunity to experience what Thomas experienced. He got to see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ, in the flesh. He got to see him face to face, look in his eyes, touch his hands, hear his voice, talk to him. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Yet, Jesus told Thomas, you believe because you see with your eyes and touch with your hands. Blessed are those who believe even though they don't see. That's the ring on the right. The ring on the right is, is Jacob's ring. We gave that to him when he turned 16. The ring on the right testifies to what God is going to do. There, written in Hebrew, are words that testify as if God had already done it. And he wears that on his right hand as a reminder, not like me, of what God has already done. It's a reminder of what God is going to do. Not just what God, the amazing things that God is going to do. And if he believes that, and he does, 
If he believes that, how should he act today? What should he do today if he believes that God is going to do amazing things tomorrow? What should he do? He should consecrate himself. He should keep himself pure. Not so that God will do amazing things, but because God is going to do amazing things. To me, it's kind of like I'm a big football fan, and one of the most beautiful things in football is seeing the quarterback and the receiver in sync. The, court, the receiver runs a pattern, and before the, the receiver is even halfway through the pattern, the quarterback throws the ball. And the c- receiver continues to run his pattern, and when he does, when he finally gets there, the ball's already there because he and the quarterback are so in sync. This is that, but it's so much more. It's a young man saying, God will, so I'm going to do my part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what he calls me to do because he will do amazing things, and I don't want to miss it. Not only that, I don't, not only do I don't want to miss it, I want to experience it in full. I encourage you to find something like that in your life, whether it's a ring or something else, a marker to remind you that God is going to do amazing things. Listen to what I said. I encourage you. I encourage you. Have the courage to believe. We are not a group of hopers. We are not a group of wishers. We are a group of believers. We believe that God is going to do amazing things. So find something to remind you of that. I want to share another, one more story. <clears throat> Sixteen years ago, I went through my own little concrete desert. I was a young man in my 30s, beautiful bride, cute little girl, two and a half, three years old, and a little baby boy, an infant. Life kept getting better, right? But the Army sent me every week from Monday through Friday 2,000 miles away to this concrete desert. I call it a desert. Because it was not fun at all. It was hot. It was humid. It's a a trailer park. The Army was doing something huge. But I wasn't even a part. I didn't feel a part at all. It was a bunch of, they were doing something with computers. They were trying to integrate all these computers. And I'm surrounded by computer architects, software engineers, a bunch of people a whole lot smarter than me. And I felt like the dumbest person in every room I walked into. I felt like I had no input, no impact. I was doing nothing. <clears throat> and at the same time, it's in that part of my career where I had gone too far to get out, but I wasn't quite far enough to know if I was going to be able to retire. And I kept, I kept wondering, is it going to be all worth it? And the worst part of it all was that we didn't know when it was going to end. My, my, my wife and children are in northern Virginia, and I'm here. This is actually in central Texas. And she couldn't stand it. And I don't know how many of you know Amy and can, probably can't imagine her being as angry as she was during that time. She hated it. She goes, what are you doing in Texas where I want to be? I'm here in northern Virginia. I don't want to be here. Why did they move us up here? And you're spending it Monday through Friday in Texas? How long is this going to last? 
And my answer was, I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to last. We didn't know. It was extremely frustrating. I was full of doubt. I mean, I cannot overestimate how, how much I hated the place and how bitter I was. But one day, as I walked in, this is about 50 feet into, into I mean, I'm taken from the gate as you walk into this, this enclosed compound. <clears throat> and when I walked in, right there where those people are standing, it was right there where I, hear, I, I heard a voice. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just a thought that occurred to me in my head. This is long before I read this passage in Joshua. But a thought occurred to me, and that thought was, hey, Raymond, what if it's all going to be okay? What if all your doubts, what if all the things that you're so bitter and angry about, what if that's all going to be okay? How would you behave today? How would you behave today if that's all going to be okay? And I felt some release, and I realized I shouldn't be grouchy, and I should smile more, and I should, and I should talk to people, and I should act like it's all going to work out tomorrow. And it got me through the day. And you know what? The next day, it was still hot, it was still humid, I was still the dumbest person in the room. I still had uncertainty. And as I'd walk, coming to work, and I'd walk right to that spot, I was reminded of what, that, what I thought I had heard. And I had to tell myself that every day. What if it's all going to be okay? What if it's all going to be okay? How should you act? And I kept telling myself that. I kept telling myself, God is in control. God is in control. So now, looking back, 16 years later, yeah, God was at work. The ordeal ended up lasting about three months. I actually told my boss's boss, hey, I will move my family at my own expense. The army usually moves, pays all the expense. I'll move my own, at my own expense. We'd rather be in Texas. I don't care how long this is going to last. I'll keep doing this, but I'm going to just give me a, a couple days to move my family. And my boss finally said, okay, I'm going to reassign you. And everything worked out. I got promoted. I retired. I now own my own business. Um, I don't have to travel. I got my own hours. I can dress how I want. I can grow a beard if I want to. I can go to work in my pajamas. I can do what, I, it's all worked out, right? So if this is my, if this is my wandering in the desert, you want to see what my promised land looks like? I want to show you my promised land. It's the exact same place. Now, if for a moment, that little angel that was on my shoulder said, Raymond, just close your eyes. It's going to be all right. Now open your eyes. I'm going to show you the promised land. I would have said, what is this kind of, kind of a joke? He goes, oh, no, no, open your eyes. See, I have a small company. I have 20 employees. 20 employees. Now, this is not, it's not a huge contract as far as defense contracts go. It's probably one of the smallest you can get as a defense contract. They, get, they make minimum wage. But those 20 employees allow me to be home on call whenever my kids need something, whenever my wife needs something. She goes to work now. I can, I can do all the things that I told you about. It is the only source of income for my small company. The only source of income comes from this place that I hated so much that I didn't ever want to see again. You know, if I had had one request back then, it was just simply, just, just show me how this is going to, just let me get out of here. And, and I think the angel on my shoulder would have said, really? That's all you want? 
Because I got so much more to show you. I'm going to give you that and this and this and this. It's, it, you can't imagine the amazing things that are going to happen. And oh, by the way, they're going to happen right here, right where you're standing. If you go to the Jordan River today, it's just a river. I've seen it. It's just a river. Oh, but if you cross that Jordan River on dry ground, that is an amazing place. The same thing is going to happen in your lives. You're going to see some amazing things happen, and the person next to you is going to say, I don't see it. But you're going to say, oh, man, don't you you've got to open your eyes. God is going to do amazing things among you. The reason I tell you this story, and I, and I, don't, know, I don't know if you get it, because it's kind of hard to tell you a story about, about work and the work life and having a family because you're all kids. But I'm telling you this story because for this to happen, it's so rare. There are thousands of contracts out there. There's only one that's right there. How did that happen? Is that a coincidence? Now, the reason I tell you this story is because God moved. Not only that, God was moving, and I didn't know it. And I was bitter. And what that voice was really saying was, cheer up, he's calling you. Cheer up, he's calling you. Right here. And I tell you the same thing. If you're, whatever you're going through, something when you have doubts, cheer up, he's calling you. Consecrate yourself because God is about to do something amazing. But to do that, you've got to believe. And to believe, it takes strength and courage. So be strong. Be courageous. Consecrate yourself. Purify yourself. Set yourself apart so you can fully experience what God is about to do. And one day, you're going to testify to it. Go ahead and go over your questions.